Good morning. How are we all doing today? Um, okay, so we're looking today, week four of our Extraordinary Hospitality series. And a very quick recap. Week one, Vicky looked at what's hospitality and being generous. Week two, Phil said, who's your neighbour? Week three, Rachel said, about becoming humble. And to the, t- the title for today is TaylorMade. TaylorMade. Now, what comes to mind when you hear the phrase tailor-made? First thing that comes into my mind when I hear that is something expensive. Yeah? Something a bit posh. Now, I was best man for one of my friends who had his suit made, tailor-made on Savile Row. Now, fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on who was going to be paying... He wasn't bothered about the groom and the best man having matching outfits, so I didn't have to go down to Savile Row. And I don't know what his suit cost, but apparently they packed the shoulder pads with horse hair. Yeah, if you've learned nothing else today, you can say that. Um, so, when we talk about tailor-made hospitality, are we talking about something that's going to cost us financially? Inviting someone round, being a great host, and inquiring what they do and they don't like do you ever go around someone's house and they've prepared the meal and you think, oh, actually, I don't, I'm not too keen on that. And you, So you, you, you make sure that you prepare something that, uh, that, that they want. Any allergies? You have to ask that these days, don't you? Any allergies? And, uh, and then, and actually, we've got, have you seen the cakes outside at the end? For the end, yeah, don't they look fantastic? We have got a gluten-free one apparently as well, so they are always thinking. Um, but anyway, you have to ask about allergies and then, you, and then we're saying tailor-made hospitality is really pushing the boat out, providing them with a t- perfect tailor-made menu. Eh? So just for a moment, turn to the person next to you and say, what's your ideal three-course meal? Okay. So now you know, if you ask somebody from your own family... You can prepare that meal for them, can't you? It was a nice surprise one day. And if you ask somebody who's not in your family, you can invite them around and they'll be very happy at the meal that you provide for them. See? You know, especially at this time, with the cost of living increasing, don't worry because tailor-made hospitality doesn't equate to expensive hospitality. And as we looked at previously, the risk of seeing hospitality purely as that opportunity to to show off your best recipes, your best china, the perfect home, is if that's what we think it's about, then the risk is it becomes uh, about what we're getting from uh, the experience rather than what we're giving. And the need to prove that we're doing well and a million miles away from the humility that we talked about and heard about last week. So don't worry, tailor-made hospitality isn't that. And I was preparing for this morning and I was thinking about tailor-made and that phrase. The other time that that phrase enters my world is when I'm talking about tailor-made risk management plans or tailor-made support packages. And these are plans which are unique to the individual uh, and that they're being applied to. They're responding to specific circumstances and challenges presented to or, or by the person. And it's perhaps that application of the phrase tailor-made which aligns better to what we're looking at today. Tailor-made being something unique, responsive to the individual and their circumstances. So is that okay for what we mean by tailor-made? Well, if you're not quite sure, and I think back to my friend's wedding where I was best man and he had his Savile Row suit. We'd gone to school together, but then he'd moved away and he was living in Wiltshire. 
Wootton Bassett, Royal Wootton Bassett now. And um, although I was his best man, he'd organised his own stag do. And, um, and what we were going to do, and about 10 or 12 of us, most of whom I'd never met before, we were going to be surfing for three days down in St Ives. Now, even 20 years ago, surfing wasn't my thing. I liked going in the sea. Jet skiing, I did that. That was fun. If it involves a motor, it's usually better. But surfing, definitely not. And for three days, oh, testimony to answer prayer. Day three, we woke up. They get picked up in the van. The guy says, I don't think there's any surf around today, lads. And we spent two hours driving around the Cornish Peninsula looking for surf. No surf. No, dear. No surf. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) But back to the point I was making. If I started going to a church near the coast, then, Lord, I'll go wherever you send me. And the guys there invited me to go surfing. Um, Because that's what you do. That's the expectation. that If you go to that church, you go surfing. That's their activity. You know, I might go with them to be polite. But if that's where it stopped, even though they find out that surfing's not my thing, you know, they're showing hospitality by inviting me, but it's not necessarily right for me. Yeah? And I'm sure you can think of situations yourself. Being invited to a football match if you don't like sport or crowds, or you're invited to the pub to meet up with somebody, but you don't drink, or, or maybe even you're an alcoholic. You know... We've heard and we've, we've marked and we've celebrated the Platinum Jubilee, aren't we, at the moment? Or have you seen on social media, they're calling it Platitubes? Yeah, anybody seen that? You're celebrating the Platitubes. You have to shorten everything these days, don't you? Um, they've interviewed various people, haven't they, over the weekend who've met the Queen and they've said how good she is at making people feel welcome and at ease. And apparently she and the royal family are briefed about the people they're meeting and given little bits of information so they can have a chat. Uh, and one of the cricket commentators, because cricket's on as well at the moment, and come on England, hopefully today, uh, we can get a test win. But one of the cricket commentators was recalling her meeting with the Queen and how the Queen started asking her about bowling technique. And she was really impressed that the Queen was asking her about that. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't think the Queen could have then entered like a, a two-hour debate about bowling techniques. She didn't have that kind of knowledge. And whether they briefed about everybody in the room or whether they kind of guided to give little bits of information, I'm not quite sure uh, to, pe- to talk to people about specialisms. I'm not sure. But there's an attempt there, isn't there, at tailor-made hospitality, meeting people where they are. And at the start of this series, there's a challenge to us as a church about our hospitality and our welcome. And the fact that we may have to do things differently making ourselves uncomfortable even, to help others feel at ease. And that's definitely true, but in terms of tailor-made hospitality, you can only go so far as, a collect- as collectively and corporately. You know, we can encourage, encourage stewards to offer a warm welcome, to be attentive to people as they arrive, but some people walking in will like to be spoken to and greeted and, you know, have a bit of a fuss made about them. Others want to come in, minimal fuss, get my seat, and, and, and they don't want the attention. And in the same way the challenge to us, each last, to us each last week was to become humble, this is where tailor-made hospitality becomes the responsibility of each and every one of us, and where it may challenge our idea of how to demonstrate hospitality and what we're comfortable with. And we've said hospitality isn't about having people around, just about having people around to your home for a meal, but that can be part of it. 
So perhaps your response to seeing someone, a single person maybe at church, is to invite them into your house and you're going to prepare and you're going to cook for them. Great. Fantastic. That is showing hospitality. But as you get to know the person a bit better, is it what they really need? Everybody needs feeding. But it may be that this person, single person, they really enjoy cooking. But, you know, to cook for themselves, for one person, it's not worth going to a big effort. And maybe they don't have the space in the house or the accommodation in the, or their flat or whatever to invite you around to like, reciprocate the, the invitation. So tailor-made hospitality would say, rather than you preparing a meal, as you get to know the person, why not invite them to prepare a meal for you? Now, that can sound a bit odd. Prepare, come round to my house and prepare a meal, you know? I might try that one sometime. <laughs> Choose carefully who you invite. Um, but, but it may be what, what that person needs, what they enjoy. It's not one size fits all. And when, as we see from the life of Jesus, he was fantastically aware of the individual needs of the peach, each person that he met. So let's consider a few people who experienced Jesus' hospitality and welcome. We look at John chapter 4, the woman at the well. You know the story. Most people went to the well early in the day before the temperatures got too high. But because the woman, due to her circumstances, she went later in the day. When no one else would be around there, she preferred to face the temperature, the sun, the heat of the day, rather than the judgmental stares and the whispered comments behind her back. She'd been in several failed relationships, as we read. And she intentionally went out at a time to avoid contact with anyone else. But we see that Jesus put himself out, went out in the heat of the day to engage with her. He initiated the conversation with her, despite the convention of him being a Jew and her being a Samaritan and never the twain shall meet or mix, as the saying. He started the conversation. And although Jesus was there to help her, he opened the encounter by asking her for help. Will you give me a drink? He immediately gave this woman value, recognising where she was. And we see other times, don't we, in the Bible, Jesus was much more direct in his approach with people. But here, knowing this woman's been hurt, mistreated by other men perhaps, he takes a different, softer approach maybe. And when Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water uh, he gives will never thirst again, you can hear the relief in the woman's voice in verse 15 at the prospect of never having to go to the well again. Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. She didn't like going to the well. But she didn't grasp what he was saying at this stage. He wasn't talking about the H2O in the bucket. Was it? Was he? He was talking about something much greater that would transform her life, that he, he was a man who would bring good to her life. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. You know, he recognises a woman, he gives her value, but he doesn't ignore the issue presented by her living arrangements. She's had five husbands and now she's with another man. He doesn't ignore that. And after encounter with Jesus, we look at the transformation and rather than avoiding others, we reach, he ran back to the town to tell the others everything. Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. So tailor-made, meeting people where they are, but it doesn't mean acceptance of what's contrary to God's teaching. 
And I just made a note that the challenge for us today in the world that we live, where the approach seems to be, if you don't agree with me, you're against me. Yeah? That seems to be the message of the world today. If you don't agree with me, you're against me. That's a real challenge and something we need to be alert to and educate others on. That actually you can love, show grace and not have the same viewpoint on things. So the first one, the woman at the well. Next person that we look at is Zacchaeus. You know the story of this as well. A tax collector for the Romans, unpopular with the locals, cheated them out of money, taking a little extra for himself. He'd made himself an outcast. Yeah, he wasn't welcome in his own town. And while the woman at the well did not know that Jesus was going to be there and, and meet him, Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was passing through and set out intentionally with a view of seeing Jesus. He set out with the intention of seeing him. I don't think he could have imagined it would end up with Jesus inviting himself back to Zacchaeus' house. Do you? But just like the woman that well, Zacchaeus needed to know there was acceptance, grace and forgiveness. But here, Jesus doesn't confront Zacchaeus in the same way. Because for Zacchaeus, just knowing he was accepted was enough to change his heart to one of generosity. And we read in Luke 19, verse 8. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of all my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. We go on, we look at the story in Mark chapter 5. One where the synagogue leader called Jairus, Jairus urged Jesus to come, please come, so he could pray for his daughter who was sick and dying. And as they made the way through the crowd to Joris' house, Jesus was touched by a woman suffering with constant bleeding. And although he was heading somewhere else, Jesus stopped and inquired, who touched me? Stopping, delaying himself from getting to the girl who had then actually died by the time he got there. You know, Jesus could have healed the sick woman and Joris' daughter at the same time, even without going to Joris' house. But Jairus had asked, will you come and lay hands on my daughter? And we don't read that the woman was dying. She had the issue of blood, she'd had it for several years. We don't read that she was dying. And actually, in verse 29, we read that the woman was healed the moment that she touched Jesus. He didn't need to stop and interact with her. So why did he? Why did he take the time to stop and find out who touched him? Well, the woman was known as unclean. If you look at the Old Testament laws and when you were clean and unclean, she was unclean. She was prevented from, excluded from worship at the temple. She was an outsider. So when she was healed, people needed to know that she had been healed because they'd have seen her as unclean. So Jesus stops and he makes the effort to, take, to explain and let others know that she has been made clean. And also... He gave a public affirmation and commended her for her faith. Now, Jairus didn't need that. Jairus was a leader in the synagogue. He had standing in public. What he needed, although he didn't know, was greater faith. Yes, he believed Jesus could heal his daughter, but Jesus wanted to give him more. And rather than heal a sick daughter, Jesus raised a dead daughter. Yeah? And I thought it was interesting just as I was looking at this that Jairus had said, come and, come and put your hands on my daughter. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He honoured Jairus' request. He could have gone in the house and said, get up, like he called Lazarus out. But he didn't. He still took the girl's hand and told her 
to get up. We see that Jesus treated everyone he met as an individual with their specific needs and desires. And you know what? We should seek to do the same. Of course, Jesus has the advantage of being all-knowing. And despite what my wife will tell you, I I know I'm not all-knowing. I'm not. Close, but but not quite. Um, So Jesus had the advantage of being all-knowing. And we have to develop and use the gift of discernment to learn what may be most helpful and appreciated by those that we are seeking to welcome. One size doesn't fit all, as we said. Jesus' hospitality was personal and it focused on others. Now that can sound a bit daunting, can't it? You know, meeting the needs of others, their specific needs. How do we find out? Well, I think Paul can help us make a bit, make it a bit of a reality. So at this point, let's look at Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. And actually it's a passage which has been an inspiration to me for, for, for years. We read, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means possible, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. Now, Paul wasn't a chameleon. He didn't change his message or methods, depending on the situation that he faced, or adjust his message according to his audience. Paul was very consistent. And just think back to when we looked at Romans, the messages that run throughout the, the book there. Paul was consistent. But what he would do was consider who, who he was engaging with and communicate in ways that, would, that they would best understand. So, tailor-made hospitality. We've looked at what it means. So, how do we become all things to all people? That's the challenge, isn't it? How do we become more aware of our hospitality being tailor-made to others? Well, the author of the book that we're looking at, Carolyn Lacey, makes three suggestions which we'll, we'll just look at briefly as we finish. The first one, is pay attention. Look around you. Can you identify some of the needs of the people around you? Just take a moment and look around. We're all here. How many of us here this morning? All come with our own needs, issues, foibles, whatever. We're all unique, aren't we? You know, but as you look around, does somebody caught your eye? You think, actually... I need to pray for them. Maybe make a list of people so you can pray for them at home. How best can you help their needs be met? Are there new people in that we need to welcome? Is there someone who we notice seems to get ignored each week? Hopefully not. But, you know, there may be somebody who just sits on the the edges and, and, and doesn't get involved. You know, people may be going through different situations, difficulties, bereavement, loneliness... Again, it's the responsibility of all of us because none of us have the time or the emotional capacity to be welcoming everybody. So maybe let people know that you're praying for them. Yeah? But don't only pray for others. 
Pray that we may know and we may understand how best to tailor our hospitality and welcome towards them. If you've looked around this morning, do the same if you're at work or as you're just around your local area. Some people may be having parties this afternoon. You know, look out from under your umbrella and, 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 and it's going to no, it's going to dry up. It's going to dry up. Um, look around at the people in your street party. Who's there? Who needs uh, that your welcome and hospitality? Pay attention and we'll understand people better and become more aware of their specific needs and desires. The second one is to be flexible. Now, this is a challenge because life can feel pressured and everybody can feel too busy. Diaries can become so full that there's no time or energy or opportunity for for when somebody unexpectedly shows up and needs to be welcomed and be shown hospitality. You know, at a family get-together yesterday, people were trying to fix a date, another date to meet up. And people got the diaries out and it's like, oh, can you do this date? No, I can't do that date. Can you do this date? No, I can't do that date. Can you do this date? And it went on. And we're looking several weeks ahead to meet up. And then it's like, well, I can do that date, but it's got to be after this time. Yeah? So life can get busy. And more, I say, more than feeling busy, it can actually be busy. It can be pressured. Sometimes it's unavoidable. Sometimes like, you go through seasons where you just chocker. But if we're not careful... A full schedule hinders hospitality. And it may be that we have to look to building some flexibility in our schedules. And, you know, you can take the pressure off. By, and if you've got more flexibility in your schedule, your diary, you can take pressure off those with less flexibility. Yeah? Maybe if you're older and retired... I got told that if you only I got told off. Someone heard last week. I said a couple of weeks ago. I said sixty was old. I said older. I got told off, so I have to be very careful. So if you're older and retired, or you're very well to do and retired at a younger age, you can maybe take the pressure off those who are having to work full time and show hospitality and fit people in better. But it will take all of us. And sometimes we may have to adjust our plans to suit specific needs. And the third thing is to keep trying. Persistence is another key element of hospitality. Because sometimes despite our best efforts, we can misread people and situations and circumstances. And the temptation could be, I've tried, it didn't work. I'm just a bit uncomfortable and it's too awkward. I haven't got the time, I haven't got the energy. I'm too busy to to make time for others who aren't interested or, you know, I don't know who these people are. Uh, You know, I I don't want to do that because I'm not sure what other people will think about it. Well, maybe try engaging with people. So we may find engaging with people challenging. And we may want to engage with people who are challenging and whose needs apparently change from one day to the next. Don't be defeated by discouragement. Keep trying. And if one way of showing welcome and being hospitable hasn't worked with somebody, try something else. Ask others around you that you trust what what they've discerned or what they think. Or maybe even ask the person themselves, you know, what, what can we do? How can we help? And because we're all in this together, if you absolutely have to, maybe ask somebody else to take the lead in showing welcome to that person. You know, Sometimes you just come across somebody and there's 
just not that connection. So maybe ask somebody else if they can help and, and focus your welcome then on someone else. And when we say keep trying, if you feel like your circumstances are so overwhelming that you can't focus on others' needs, Karen and Lacey says, look at Jesus on the cross. Even through his pain and suffering, he continued to think of others. He saw the needs of his mother. He saw the needs of his friend John. And he ensured that they were provided for and met. So tailor-made hospitality, it's not about going to great expense and, and bringing out the, the, the best of, of, of all you've got in terms of material things. It's about meeting people's needs where they are. You know, what's their unique challenge and situation? We've looked at that this morning. Next week, we're going to conclude our series by looking about in, being inclusive. Who, who do, who's this welcome for? So let's just close in prayer this morning before the band comes back up. So Lord, we want to be known as a, a church and we want to be known as people who are welcoming, who know how to welcome people, who are open for people to come and to encounter and engage with you and get to know you more. And Lord, this can be challenging. Uh, and Lord, I thank you that there's a call on each one of us. Lord, there's a call for us as a church, but we're made up of the individuals as a church. And there's a call for each one of us to do what we can in this. Lord, we're all different. We can show hospitality in different ways. And Lord, I just pray that you'll just start to, to, to see people with your eyes. The, the difficulties that people face, the messy situations. Lord, let us be the ones to welcome, to show welcome, to show hospitality to them. Amen. Amen. Thanks, team.